0: On this episode of the Culture Pop Podcast, we are joined by actor Russell Hornsby, who plays Don King in the new Hulu miniseries, Mike, about the life of Mike Tyson. Plus, Sue gets her first experience at the spectacular SoFi Stadium in L.A., where the Super Bowl champion Rams play. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and at stevemason.com. And please, take a minute, we appreciate this, if you leave us a rating and a review. The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the Law Offices of Jacob Imrani.
1: Accident. Injury, call Jacob.
0: jacob. call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, eight four four twenty four 24 jacob That's eight four four twenty four 24 jacob Or visit calljacob.com.
2: jacob
0: hey everybody welcome to the culture pop podcast i'm steve mason that's sue
1: kalinsky sue blue how you feeling i have to tell you steve it's been a very very busy and um exhausting week really tell me tell me what's going on i've been shooting this documentary this is about silver friedman and um Uh, re-explain that So, uh, she, uh, with her, uh, ex-husband, Bud Friedman, she goes by Silver Saunders now. Okay. Um, they, uh, opened up the original improvisation in New York city in, uh, I guess it was 1963. And, um, she just never got credit for Mm. being really the force behind it creatively. He was the businessman. She was in show business and she thought. You know, there really needs to be a place where where, like theater people go the the people who were in the shows go to hang out and just you know, decompress after the theater. And there was nothing in that area that um that wasn't pricey to go to, right. So right. She came up with the idea to open up the improvisation. so anyway, so I've been shooting all week and been like wired. And um, I have a hard time going to sleep as it is. Yeah. Do so you really? I really do. I, I just don't sleep as great as I used to. And and I never sleep through the night. But getting to sleep sometimes is really hard. So sometimes I will take an edible. Sure. Okay. A lot of people and, do. Okay. So, um, and I don't know what is wrong with me. I'm like a moron. I always take a little bit too much. I I, and I just do. <laughs> so the particular stuff that I've been taking... So the other night I take it tossing yeah. and turning it was just so frustrating and um it was like trippy kind of that's how that's like that's what that's because i took too much so i close my eyes and i start to kind of like like i felt like i was on acid or something i start to see like colors and like i'm like going through like <laughs> Like what do you like, like Jim Morrison. It's, at, it's, uh, it's it's like one of those one of those things Joshua that you would, well one well, of those things you'd look at when you were a kid. It was a like kaleidoscope a kaleidoscope. So I'm looking. It felt like I was looking through a kaleidoscope, and I'm seeing things in color. My and God, then, how
0: much weed did you take?
1: I did. Was it was like I took one, which is ten milligrams, oh, okay. and then I took like a quarter more, and I could have done without the quarter more. Right, right. So I'm trying to go to sleep, and um just all of a sudden I start to feel. Like I'm in the Twilight Zone from the Rod Serling days. It's black and white. Yeah. And I am. And this is what I'm thinking in my head. yeah. And I'm this character who can't fall asleep. That's that's the episode. I'm this person who just can't fall asleep. And I start seeing like, you know, like in the black and white with a big the big clock. And are you kidding me?
0: You're having a total and complete break here.
1: I'm having a break, so I see that like the, the the hands of the clock spinning around, and all of a sudden I see myself like getting up in bed, and like there's black circles under my eyes, and the and the calendar like days of the week are <laughs> flying <laughs> off the calendar, and I I'm that person who can't go to sleep, and I'm thinking, how am I? I I'm never going to go to sleep again, <laughs> you know, and this is what I'm thinking. While I'm trying to go to sleep. Wow. That is so. uh, So if you're asking me how I feel, I I really need to feel tired. I need to catch up on sleep this week
0: (laughs) (laughs) without drugs, a little less gum, by the way, you know, right now. So it's summertime and I've got this nice. You've been to my house. I got this nice little patio out here and um, summertime. I tend to sit out and smoke a jet Mm -hmm. and uh, but I've gotten I only do it in the summertime but it's, it's bad for my voice. It's, uh, it's just, it's a nasty, filthy habit. So I got to make the transition back to edibles. Um, but I don't intend to see kaleidoscopic views when I take one.
1: Okay. I have something I'm going to, I'm going to send you because Tom and I bought a couple of them years ago. A friend of mine had this like mini, it's a travel bong. Okay. A travel bong. Yeah. It's called a bubbler. (laughs) <laughs> right okay and it's it's small yeah and you fill it up the, the the very bottom you put a little bit of water in it and it's a it's a water it's like a it's like a, a water pipe yeah yeah but it but it's a it's like a, a bong basically but it's really mini. it's great and it's really smooth and it's it's completely different than smoking through a regular pipe. And I guess because the water, the vapor, whatever. Yeah, right. Um, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna send you it. A... Yeah, send me some information on that. No, I'm gonna special. send you one. I have one. Oh, you have one. The they're mini... like eleven dollars. but like a they're great they're, they're called a bubbler.
0: Yeah, nice. It's okay, an, it's actually I'll try an, it out.
1: an aqua pipe.
0: Yeah, better, better than smoking jays.
1: Yes, very much yeah. so.
0: You roll a good jay, don't you? I do. Yeah, I do not. Yeah, I'm a big pre-roll guy. Big pre-roll guy. All right, so. Uh, you went to SoFi Stadium mm-hmm. for a preseason game, Rams versus the Houston Texans. That was your first time in SoFi, right?
1: Compliments of you. Thank you yeah, so much.
0: Absolutely. So what did you think?
1: It was the most beautiful stadium I've ever been to in my life. But aside from that, it was going to a game. Like, I've been in a luxury box before. Sure. You know, I at, uh, um, at Madison Square Garden. Um, I got, I got to see the Knicks there. My brother knew somebody, um, but, and I've been to, um, a box at, um, Yankee stadium. Okay. But being in this stadium, it's so beautiful. <laughs> um, and just your seats are amazing.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean,
1: right on the 50 yard line. Yeah. First row in the first deck up.
0: Oh God. Did I pay, pay for those? seats? I'm
1: sure you did. And the food. so. Um, I talked to Juan, you know, and he gave me yeah. the whole lowdown. And there's like a
0: private little club back there. The, the
1: private club. What is it? The, what is it? The, the, uh, cat, what is it, uh, called the, the, connect, uh, the, the chairman, is chairman's
0: the, chairman's club? Yeah. Chairman's
1: club. And you go in there and it's just a uh, buffets. Like you feel like you're at a wedding or bar mitzvah or something, you know, it's all these, um, stations where you can get, and you don't pay for any food
0: No, or, and, or, alcohol. or, or,
1: or alcohol. Yeah. Unless you wanted like top shelf. shelf, but we're, you know, we're drinking beers. And, um and it, it, it was just, it was, it was just an amazing experience. Oh, so thank you so much. It was, sure. it was like, it was a natural high.
0: You know, I, I, if you go there and a lot of people haven't had a chance, you should try to go for whatever event, because, you know, that's where the uh, world cup is going to play in 26. That's where the opening ceremonies for the Olympics are going to be in twenty eight. It is, and I've gotten to travel around, and I got to do seven Olympics, and was at all those opening state, uh, uh, ceremonies, state ceremonies. There's nothing close to SoFi. I think it's the most beautiful stadium I have ever been in. Period.
1: And and everybody there is so nice. All yes. the people that work there are really really nice. It's just a classy classy place. And and it was easy. You know, everything was accessible. You know, it was easy getting to the seats. I mean, it was just, it was just a, a, a very uh, a, a great experience. And thank Good. you again.
0: I'm so glad about that. Good.
1: And and let me know the next time you can't go.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I will definitely let you know. Definitely <laughs> let you know. All right, let's get to our guest. Uh, he has had memorable roles in The Affair, in Treatment, Bmf, and Lost in Space on the big screen. He co starred in Creed II, The Hate You Give, and Denzel Washington's Fences. His current project is the Hulu miniseries, Mike, about the life and times of former heavyweight champion Mike Tyson. Russell Hornsby joins us. Russell, thank you so much for doing this, man. Thank you. Happy to be here. So you play Don King. By the way, love the miniseries, uh, Mike, on the life of Mike Tyson. It's on Hulu right now. It is streaming. Don King, you know, I I worked for ESPN, so I've been around Don King a lot, interviewed him a bunch of times and he really presents himself as kind of a caricature. How did you go about creating your version of Don King?
2: Well, first of all, for me, it was more, um, the saying goes, there is no right nor wrong, there is only truth. And what I like to do is I like to start uh, from working from the inside out, you know? And so it was important to me to understand who Don King was, you know, uh, from uh, coming from Cleveland, Ohio, um, you know, running numbers. You know, being you know a person you know of the street at the time, and sort of um, how that came about. You know what he did uh, to get to go into prison for three years. Um, you know, being a voracious reader while in prison, and understanding, um, sort of beginning to understand the world around him outside of Cleveland, outside of sort of the gangster life, if you will. And um, and then I think he and then I looked at. <clears throat> what, um, uh, he had him needing to find a place, um, in America, you know, and, and so I think that he realized that in in order for him to make the loudest boom, <laughs> um, he would need to become something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, well, believe me, I know. Right. So um, in America, the truth of the matter is, uh, you know, from my standpoint is that when, um, America historically has always looked for for blacks and black men uh, to entertain, right? Uh, whether it be uh, musical entertainment, comedic entertainment, uh, athletic entertainment, right? Sure. Uh, the Battle Royale and pugilism and things of that nature. Uh, and so I think he realized that in order to be accepted into mainstream society, he had to entertain. And him being a very bright and very astute man, him knowing that um, he had to create a character and in turn become somewhat of a caricature uh, in order to be received and taken in by the the community at large.
1: So how much of yourself is in Don King?
2: Well, Sue, thank you for that question. Um, So here's the thing. I, I believe there are very few true chameleons in the business uh, of acting or in the you know the craft of acting. And so I believe that every character that you take on or that you portray, you have to have a little bit of that person inside you. And um, I, I believe that like Don, um, I, Russell, I am a theatrical. Um, I am a showman. Um, I am a ham. As I used to always say growing up, <laughs> Uh, I'm not just a ham. I'm a honey baked ham. <laughs> and, 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 and so, uh, you know, I understand the, the virtue of being able to tell a good story, to be able to uh, turn a phrase, uh, find a fresh word and sort of uh, keep the the, the rhetoric and the, and the party going a little bit. And so, you know, over the years, I have uh, been able to sort of um, build on that and manifest that. And so this was the proper time for me to to embody Don because I am uh I am now, I feel like in the full breadth and depth of uh of my theatrical powers, if you will.
0: Yeah, yeah. So this this is very much a warts and all portrayal of Mike Tyson, the good and the bad. Yeah, I mean, it's an unauthorized miniseries. And I just went through this. I have a lot of friends at the Lakers. I work on the Lakers flagship radio station. And I just went through this with the miniseries winning time about the Lakers. And people at the Lakers hated it because mm-hmm. it was somebody else telling their story. Yes, And I know Mike has talked about this show a bit, but I've always thought that the unauthorized version of anybody is more interesting than the story they tell about themselves. What do you think?
2: Uh, I, I would tend to agree. Um, you know, oftentimes the unauthorized version can be uh, a little bit more revealing, a little bit more salacious, but at the same time, we have to understand there is such a thing as public domain. And so, you know, every interview, um, that, uh, Jerry Buss did and Jeannie busted over the years, Magic Johnson, James Worth, all of that is part of the public domain. And so people can always reach back and go find those newspaper clippings, go find those, those video clips and use that to help tell a story. And so I think the same thing has happened here, and we can't look past that, you know, uh, and and that that is a reality um, on all fronts. And so when a, a person such as Mike or such as Lakers are public people, public figures, uh, they are a part of that p- public domain by and large, and people can can use it to help uh, tell a story that is can be that unauthorized.
1: Did you see the Undisputed Truth? Did you see the stage show that Mike did? I did not. No, I did not. Oh, you got to see it. Okay. I, I, I watched it actually yesterday, and it really amazed me that Mike Tyson. I mean, when it, when it first came out, I thought Mike Tyson doing a one man show, you gotta be kidding me. This is either going to be the biggest train wreck or it's going to be genius. Mm-hmm. And it was genius. Yes. He, it, it, it was, it was, I was so impressed. He was so funny. He was so charming. Um, he was tender. Mm-hmm. Um, I never, I never would equate those characteristics with him. Um, what, what, I mean, have you have you been a boxing fan um most of your life? I mean, how much do you know about boxing?
2: You know, um I can't say I've been a boxing fan. I've been I've always appreciated boxing and and as they say, the sweet science of it. Um, you know, I, I followed all the big fights, you know, when when I was coming up, you know, the uh all the abc wide world of sports you know what i mean saturday mornings yeah. Sunday afternoons you know this is i would goes live <laughs> at ringside and things of that nature and of course you know all of the tyson fights coming up um but i think that you know when we talk about tyson in his one-man show i did see clips of it uh in years past and the thing is this is a part of his evolution right this uh, this change over time. And the truth of the matter is, is that I think that Tyson was able to find out, discover who he was at his core. You know, we're, we're talking about a man who was, who had to, who initially was tender, was gentle, right? And because of the circumstances and his surroundings, he was sort of, he was shifted into this, some would say altered beast, if you will, Right. And so I think what ended up happening once he retired and, and, and went to prison and served his time, he was able to shed that part uh, that armor. And we're now able to get to back to the true essence of who Tyson is. He's able to get back to his true essence of who he is and who he is, is a man who's funny, who is tender, gentle and, and has a willingness to share who he's become. And I think that's genius and beautiful at the same time. So we'll circle back around to, to Mike, but I want
0: to kind of time jump on you because mm-hmm. you've, you've got an amazing career. And uh, uh, I, you don't, I, I read on Wikipedia that you were a football player in high school yes. and that you went out for the spring musical. I'm curious if you knew you were good and if you felt that you felt like you were going to get a
2: lead in the show. I didn't know I was good. I, I When I went out, it was just on a dare, quite honestly. You know, one of those high school dares. I dare you to go out for the musical, you know what I mean, and sing and everything like that. And I was like, yeah, I can do it. And, um, and you know, also... I went to all boys Catholic high school and the the girls were there. You know what I mean? Yeah, (laughs) right,
1: right. You're no idiot. Right, right.
2: You know what I mean? And and girls like to see that tender side. The the awful sentimental (laughs) regarding love and all. So, you know, and, but you know, what I did realize is that I did have a flair for the dramatic. Uh, There was something else about me, even at 16, that I can shift, do you know what I mean? And yeah. that even at sixteen, there was a theatricality in me um, that I just needed to sort of hone, and and a willingness to kind of just put it all out there at, at such a young age. And I did. I found that to be refreshing for myself, you know, at that at at uh, sixteen, all the way through high school, which in turn encouraged me to go study uh, theater at, in uh, college.
1: So, like growing up. Um were were there um movies or, or actors that you've looked at and said, wow, that I would love to do that one day.
2: You know, yeah, uh Sue, thank you. Uh yes, there were. My favorite movie at the time and still to this day is uh is The Wizard of Oz. Mm. And 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 because it is so theatrical and so expressive, and the the lyrics, the, the lyric is just so beautiful, and and um, and say and mean so much, and it really you know as a young kid watching it, I've seen it hundreds of times. It's pierced my heart and my soul, hmm. and and I think that it, it it caused it helped cause a transition in me emotionally, where all of a sudden I became more of an empath, uh, a, a feeling person at such a young age, and so I was able to. T- Tap in at such a tender age, and also being from Oakland at the time, which was pretty rough and everything like that. I, I was able to shed that um, that gruff exterior and, and and really tap into an emotionality that um, that a lot of young black men didn't possess at that time. And I think that that one film um, and all of those characters, those those band of married men and women. Um, really helped me, you know, find my theatrical spirit, if you will, hmm. and also, and one other one was um, Shirley Temple movies. Quite really, awesome. wow. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, a- again, her dancing with Bo Bill Bojangles Robinson, the expressiveness, um, the songs, the music. At a young age, it just I, I came alive, you know, watching uh th- those some of those films.
0: So you've been on some great shows. I mean, in Treatment, The Affair. You won't see this coming, but the one I want to ask you about is Playmakers. Uh, so, so I'm a big sports guy, and I remember the show really well. You played Leon Taylor, yeah. veteran running back, getting ready to retire. It's a great look at professional football, the part we don't see, the lives of the guys under the helmets. The show did great ratings,
2: mm-hmm. but
0: the NFL wanted it gone. And I I bring it up because pain meds and violence and drug abuse and guys going to a shrink and a gay player. It was real then, and it's
2: real now. The NFL was just really uncomfortable with it, right? Yeah, it was prescient. I mean, it was showing a glimpse of what's to come uh, and what was to come in sports, but also what was to come in society at large, and and our willingness to talk about it, be open about it, and ultimately be comfortable about it. You know, I'll tell you a story. Uh, I was uh, right after it had come out. Uh, I think about four or five episodes had aired. I was in New York and I was walking by the ABC right there in Times Square. They had the, you know, the open window and whatnot. Sure. And I walked past. I run into Stephen A. Smith. And yeah. Stephen A. Smith says, hey, Leon Taylor, my brother, how you doing? <laughs> and he gives me a big old bear. He says, man, I love the show. He says, but I'm going to tell you. Y'all ain't gonna last long, man. Y'all tell me too most <laughs> truth. We're gonna be here long. He said, but I love it though. I love it though. And like, and you know, he knew what he was talking. about. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh
1: wow. You know, I wonder if it were on a different network, whether um, it it yeah. it would have lived on. Because I, I, I mean, mean it SBN was had too the much power
2: of that time, right? So it had it been on HBO or Showtime or something like that, I think it would have still been on because the controversy would have helped propel it forward. So are you a football fan or did you give it up when the NFL canceled your show? Oh no, no. I am a football fan. I'm a I'm a San Francisco 49ers diehard. No, I mean, uh, I'm a Rams yeah. fan. We don't like each other. No, we don't. And I'm sorry. That's you know unfortunate for you. But uh, you know, I have to respect <laughs> the Super Bowl. Yep. And, uh, and and I and I do. But uh but yeah, no. Uh, I'm from being from Oakland when the when the Raiders went to came to LA in 82 was the same year that 49ers won the Super Bowl against the Bengals. And so, of course, the Raiders are gone and the 49ers going to win four and five Super Bowls. So, you know, the hometown team you love, you
0: know. Yeah, I don't want to ask you about the NFC Championship game because that thing didn't go your way, right?
2: No, you know, if uh, that's, that's why there's no more Jimmy G. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. So August Wilson is one of the
0: great American playwrights. Mm-hmm. And you had the opportunity to work with Denzel Washington on the film version of Fences. And I can tell you one thing. Denzel, I thought, was unbelievable. Should have won the Oscar for that. I forget who won, but I remember Denzel. What was it like working with him on that film, especially given the fact that it was a piece written by
2: Wilson? Uh, It was a dream come true. I mean, I had sort of uh, killed two birds with one stone. Uh, I got a chance to bring August Wilson's words to the silver screen the first major motion picture, and also at the same time was working with Denzel, one of my childhood idols. And one of the the true, I think, one of the greatest actors that Hollywood has ever produced. And so, you know, I, I felt like I was in good company, that I was, as my mother would say, swimming in high cotton at, at this time. <laughs> and, and also the truth, you know, to be very honest about it, I felt like that gave me my FDA seal of approval if you will, you know when you can go from the stage doing fences on Broadway and my Broadway debut and then go to the silver screen both working with Denzel and Viola, there's something in there that that told the public that told society or the industry at large that this is the one to watch that this kid this guy, this man now at 41 years old at the time is uh, has all the goods. And it really does take, um, you know, somebody kind of tapping you on the shoulder and saying, this is it. This is the guy for the industry to take notice. And they, they and they did.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's not always a given that if you're in the stage version, you're going to make it to the screen. And even <laughs> if you're the lead, like you look at someone like Patty LuPone, who was yes. not in the film version of Avida which was yes. such a crime. Yeah. Um. So, you know, you know, I tip my hat to you. I mean, that's you know, that, well, that says something. I was
2: the lead of the show. You know no, I mean?
1: no, no. But the fact that you were in, you were in the show. Oh, one
2: hundred percent. Yes. And they
1: took you along to be in the film.
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, um, I think Denzel had a lot to do with that. You know, wanting to sort of keep the band together, as it were. And I, and also, it didn't hurt that I was on television every week. You know, so I mean, all those things were working in concert to help uh, to help seal the deal. So you made a movie called The Hate You Give, and it's about a
0: black family. And in the first scene, it's such an amazing moving scene. You as as the father, Maverick, you've got to give the talk to your kids. And unfortunately, it's a talk that still needs to be given today. Mm-hmm. how black Americans are treated differently than white Americans, particularly in police situations, what to do if you get pulled over by a police officer, how to act, how to behave. Tell me about shooting that scene. And and when you were a kid in the Bay area, did you ever get that kind of talk?
2: Uh, second question first. Um, when, yes, when I was growing up, I, I didn't get to talk from my mother and, um, other coaches and whatnot. And, uh, you know, there were times when I wasn't treated well uh, by the Oakland PD. And um, you, you sort of are forced, to, I was forced to and chose to sort of relive that moment um, while while giving that speech in that scene. Uh, it was very difficult, quite honestly. It was a very, very challenging scene uh, for me to shoot. I had to step away uh, a couple of times when we were shooting because just because um, I was breaking down. Um because it it was so palpable for me still mm. and um and also, you know, at the time i um my second child was born, and so you know I have two boys, and so you're just thinking about, wow, my my you know, I had to go through this, and here we are twenty and thirty years later, having to go through this, and will I have to go through this in ten to fifteen years with my own children, and just the thought of that took me to another place where for a moment I could not control my emotions, you know, just for fear of having to do that. And then I was, you know, just able to kind of collect myself and be a professional and go out and just deliver it, um, with all of that underneath, you know, uh, but it was very challenging, but, you know, I, um, I welcomed the challenge and I know that it was necessary. And I felt as if, You know, I was the right actor at that time to give that performance uh, because of what I had been through and the level of empathy and the truth telling that I wanted to give.
1: I was a big fan of uh, In Treatment. I thought Mm -hmm. it was such a, a brilliant show and Gabriel Byrne I mean I would go to him as a therapist. Yes. I mean he was so he was amazing. Um there was a scene that you you did where you had an intense monologue about your dad and mm. you know just speaking about what Steve was asking you like you know did you go have, go through this or whatever um where 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 do you find where do you find um w- you know what you had to use for that monologue?
2: Um well you know I mean it was uh I wouldn't say biographical in the sense that, you know, my father didn't have another family on the side, but I did grow up without a father. And so I think that, um, young men or children, uh, in general who grew up without one of, one of two parents, uh, there's always a void. There's always something missing. And I think that if you are in, if you have a a keen level of empathy and you are, um, connected to your emotions, you're able to to go to that place and draw from that emotionally. And uh, that's what, again, I I chose to do, was forced to do. You know, I, I think that if we're lucky and we're able to do that, there is a level of catharsis, you know, that happens. And And honestly, like, you have to, as the actor, as the person, before I can perform it, I have to deal with it. So that the emotions don't overcome me. Do you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. so I think that that's a good thing. It's painful, but that's a good thing. And I think that's why some of the best actors are those that have lived. Um, Because, you know, uh, the sense of acting is a sense of living. and And it's life. So if you're going to be as honest as one needs to be, you have to be honest about what you're feeling or what you've lived through and gone through and have a willingness to, to share that. So you're working with uh, Curtis Jackson
0: 50 cent Mm -hmm. on a show called BMF for stars. And I think there's a second season coming, right? Yes. Yeah. We just finished the second season at the, uh, the end of June. So you play another dad here. whose uh, two sons are kind of being sucked into a world of crime and drugs and in Detroit, uh, you're You're a good and principled father mm-hmm. uh struggling musician, your kid's kind of spinning out of control. Tell me about working on that show, which I think is uh Curtis Jackson mostly like to work with because yeah. this is his kind of brain shop
2: you know i I have to tip my cap to fifty because fifty is has become and is one of those producers that understands that we need to get the best people for the job and what i've noticed that he has done in his casting is that he has gone out and made it um a mission of his to get actors so he's married these worlds where he's gotten personalities to play certain roles and then he's gotten actors to play other roles. And Mm. and what I mean by actors, I don't just mean somebody who has a willingness uh, or a desire or an ability to simply say lines. You know, I'm talking about actors who have gone to theater school, who have trained, who are theatricals, who have spent time in the theater, working, you uh, you know, on stage and whatnot, and has brought them to the fore and said, listen, these people are talented. They need a platform. They need an opportunity to show their talent And he gave that opportunity for myself, for my co-star, McCall, Brianna White. There is Patina Miller, who is on uh, Raising Canaan, and and countless others. And so I have to tip my cap for that for him. And so, and now in answering the question or speaking about Charles Flannery, what I'm now able to do is, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard this saying or this reference, they said that there was a time when boats were made of wood and men were made of steel. Hmm. And so Charles Flannery represents, a by, he's a byproduct of that time, you know, coming out of the 70s into the 80s where men worked with their hands, right? Yeah. Where, where you were plumbers, you were woodworkers, you were metal workers, factory workers, and you worked with your hands. And so there was a principle that they were guided by that said a hard days work for honest days pay. And so, when you come up with that ethic, and that's where you work to pay your bills, to feed your family, to send them to school, to go on vacations, is birthed out of the hard work that one is willing to do. And so now we're talking about being a hustler, a drug dealer, or whatever. To him, that's not hard work. You're cheating. You're hmm. stealing. You're lying. And I didn't come up. And and when we come from an America, right, coming out of World War II that said, listen, we're gonna give you all an opportunity to really be self-made, right? And everybody of that time bought into that. Mm -hmm. But what happened is, and that, you know, a lot of men who suffered, who fell back, they were cheated, they were lied to by the system. And I think that Charles and a lot of men, white and black, from that Rust Belt didn't understand that the um the change or the hustle was taking place hmm. and so because these kids are coming up now who were born in the you know late 60s early 70s are now coming of age they can see the shift they can see the hustle happening right and they're saying dad mom you don't realize you guys got taken for a ride right hmm. Hmm. yeah you don't re- you don't see that and they're saying no 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 I'm going to work and then by the time that they realized that they got hustled. It's too late. the factory has closed. yeah there's no jobs. They've run off with your pension and health money. Mm. right? And so this is our America we're talking about. yeah, yeah, right. And so he's still standing on a principle that he's given to that did not give back. Mm. And so when we look at America and we look at our my I look at my parents now, and grandparents and people who are about 15 to 20 years my senior, they got taken for a ride and didn't realize and didn't, and when it was when they had an opportunity to get off, the seatbelt wouldn't let them go. Yeah. So they couldn't get off the ride. And so they got taken down. Hmm. And so that's that's the problem, right? right. right. You, follow, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. With this America. That that had sold us a bill of goods. That you you you. What do they say? You take you take your goods to the county fair and there's no sale. Hmm. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so the kids, the youngsters, and even that's what this is what's happening now, right? With with people with social media, with influencers. When they was we were telling our kids, or I was told, go to college. Get a degree, come out and get a job, right? So, for my generation, that worked, and 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 maybe the millennials a little bit after, but now that doesn't work anymore,
0: hmm.
2: right? That's a, That's an old paradigm, and the paradigm has shifted. Yep. Sure, the young kids are saying, "Mom, Dad, that college degree is bullshit."
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, right. it's true. It you know what true. I mean? You're,
2: hey, you you got you you got a whole thing of debt. That you can't pay off because there's no jobs out here. So a lot of these kids who were 30 to 35 who bought into the system, the system is now changed. Yeah. they sure. hustled them right. Yeah. So the other kids who are in their teens and 20s are saying, "You guys get sold a bill of goods. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go and TikTok my way to the top." Oh
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm right? getting the I'm, I'm getting the gold watch, I'm you know, getting, in, in a year or two.
2: <laughs> I'm going to be, exactly. Now, I believe we're going to find there's going to be something, there's going to be, what do they call uh, There's a pyramid scheme, a Ponzi scheme in that too. Yeah. So, you know, everybody gets in, who, those who get in early, you make it, and then whoever's left, you know, at the end, you get caught with no chair to sit down when the music stops. Right. So that's a, my long sort of way. Yeah. Else. About to who Charles Flannery was and what he was about, and also being able to speak to the social structure of America and how it's failed us. So I'm curious, you built
0: this story, this this backstory for Don King, or at least studied this backstory very mm-hmm. closely. Uh, Charles Flannery, uh, you kind of put him into a historical perspective. Yes are are you are you a method
2: actor? No, I would say that uh, I'm a meaningful actor. Hmm. You know, they, they're, they're, there's this saying, they say a minute is a measure of time, but a moment is a measure of meaning. And so, if I'm going to, these, these moments that I'm sharing, that I'm taking, are that of meaning. So, if I'm going to take time to embody a character, it has to be a character steeped in meaning. Because um, I don't believe that I that I'm here by accident. I don't believe that my talent is frivolous. And so I am not gonna lend it or give it. Now it might we might be talking about some frivolous things in the work or in the show, or it might be some comedy, whatever, like that. But underneath it, there is still some a level of meaning. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. we can still have fun and be meaningful. We can still laugh and the laughs be meaningful, right? The purpose, there is a purpose, but so I wouldn't say that I'm method. I would just say that I'm meaningful. All right. Last thing for you about the Mike Tyson
0: Mm miniseries. So he has uh, dealt with a bad hand in terms of his rough upbringing, Uh, goes through Robin Givens, uh, the rape conviction in the case of Desiree Washington, plus his sort of reinvention now after becoming the most fearsome boxer in the world. What, what do you think Mike
2: Tyson's legacy is? Wow. Um, I think his legacy is going to be about one of the greatest boxing champions that ever lived. Uh, I think, um, one of the top three, uh, of greatest heavyweights probably. Um, and I think it's going to be about a man who was, uh, conflicted, you know, and, um, and, and had a very, you know, complicated life and did some, uh, did some bad and, uh, is going to be seen as uh, in some eyes as a man who did some bad, more bad than good. But, uh, we all know that life is complicated, but I think it's also going to be about a man who sought redemption and found it. Um, and again, America loves a redemptive story um and that uh, america is the land of second chances and so i've always i've been saying that i want us to sort of look at mike through a 2022 lens and not a 1980s or 90s lens hmm. we had a limited capacity or purview of how we're seeing people uh a limited capacity to purview of how our what our viewpoint is of men um uh, of how we judge masculinity uh, and and how we look at feminism, how we look at misogyny, mm-hmm. um, and so we need to understand that now. Taking a, a thirty thousand foot view now is that we understand that there are different levels of mental health that we need to you know sort of look at differently, and and be able to look at what one was going through in those times, and what one had to live through, and that that um, that's what changed their behavior. And changed, you know, sort of how they dealt with life not excusing it, but understanding it. And I think that if we uh, if we have a willingness to understand, we can now have a nuanced conversation about what is today. And then now we're able to look at who is going through what now and have a different level of empathy for wh- how people are living uh, and, and some of the extenuating circumstances with which they're going through and say, listen, I understand. Not, not, not forgiving it, not condoning it, but you know what, let me help you, mm. let's do something, yeah. you know what I mean? And so I think that's what we're sort of, we can judge Mike differently now and look at his legacy differently. Um And I think that we're better people if we do that. Yeah.
0: Uh, well, listen, it is a very entertaining miniseries. It's a great miniseries. Uh, Mike you. on uh, on Hulu, it's streaming now. You play Don King only in America. That's right. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, BMF is later on this year on Stars. Russell, thank you so much for doing this, man. We really appreciate it. Steve, Sue, it was
2: indeed a pleasure.
0: Thank you so much. And there you have it, Russell Hornsby joining us. Boy, Sue, I mean, thats he's really smart. And what goes into his characters,
1: the the backstory of his characters are are unbelievable. Uh, he, he could be the smartest guest we've ever had on the show. You think so? I think so. Who would
0: be number two? I'm trying to think. Who would be number two? Oh, Deepak Chopra. Were you here when we did Deepak Chopra? No. No, he was super smart. Yeah. He was super smart. Uh, I don't know. I think there's a lot of intelligence on the show all the time, regardless oh, yes. of. Oh those. yes,
1: he was just—he was just very, very deep as far as his craft.
0: Yeah, I totally dug that. Totally dug that. Um, all right, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. There is the Culture Pop Podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop podcast on Apple, Spotify, and at stevemason.com. And Sue, the big thing is we really appreciate it when people leave us a rating and a review because it helps us go up the Apple charts and then more people can find the podcast and listen to it. So leaving that rating and a review is, is a big deal.
1: Well, I'm glad that you keep on reminding people because it is very important. Exactly, it is. Uh, Thanks a lot for listening.
0: We will see you next time on the Culture Pop Podcast.